Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, we'll read the word of the Lord and then we'll ask him to teach us. The first 11 verses of 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 1. Now I make known to you, brethren, <clears throat> the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which you also stand, by which you are, be, are saved, if you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried and He was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve, and after that He appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all, to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles, and I'm not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove in vain. But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then... It was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Father, thank you for your word, and Lord, I ask that you would teach us. That we would, Father, draw deep to what you have laid before us in this text. And then, Father, we would rejoice in the resurrection from the dead, and that, we, that Christ, our first fruit, is what is the forerunner, that we who are called by your name shall live eternally in the presence of you and Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. Father, I ask, I beg you this time, give us ears to hear, give us eyes to see. And Father, as we studied even Wednesday night, Lord, Job had received and heard, but then he experienced and he saw. Help us be in that. Help us to walk in that. Help us to draw in that. Help us to rest in that. To your glory and praise. Amen. If you look at your outline, I've given you five things that deal with the proof of the resurrection in these first 11 verses. And the one that we dealt with last week was the church's testimony. But the key to the church's testimony and that I see today comes there in verse 2. If you hold fast the word which I preach to you. If. All right, and, and I dealt with the text last week, numerous Bible texts that says there are a lot of people who have heard and have embraced, even for a time, Orthodox Christianity and then have walked away. Um, and they didn't believe. Their faith was empty. Their faith was in vain. And, and Paul is saying, see to it that your faith is not in vain. And that's good. It's, it's good for us to hear today because there are people today that don't look saved who are convinced that they are. And let me tell you something. If you're saved, you should look like it. And, and I just don't understand that. And why does it cause people so much problems? Listen, and you do something on a continual pattern that does not look like salvation, and I witness it, I will tell you. 
I have to. But it isn't because I'm a pastor. It is because I am a saint. And it should be something that the rest of the congregation would do. But nobody goes looking for conflict. But the problem that you're dealing with, brothers and sisters, is that this is no minor detail. This is a detail that has eternal ramifications. And he's reminding the church in Corinth, he's reminding us today that if we, if we and they are true Christians and they give evidence of it, they will give evidence of it because they will continue to believe. Then they have received, he said. Then they have stood in it and they are being saved by this gospel. This gospel is the gospel of the bodily resurrection, which Paul preaches, which all ministers of the gospel preach, should be preaching. All right, so the church in Corinth, as some today in this gathering, are already resurrection believers, bodily, physical resurrection. So, how is it, he is questioning the Corinthians, how is it that you believe in Christ's bodily resurrection, but you don't believe in your own bodily resurrection? And, and that is troublesome. That is troublesome. But when I look at it, it is very evident that the church in Corinth had embraced the society instead of standing against the society. I received a little thing in my email that said uh, that uh, they believe that the politicians have hijacked the faith. And whether they are a liberal politician or a conservative politician, they literally have uh, come to a point where it is a political gain to be involved in the quote-unquote faith. And you know what's amazing about it? And the church don't care. The church is not here for politics. Did you know that? I, you know, do I share with you uh, things that are on the ballots that are coming up? We signed a petition here a few weeks ago. Yeah, but there's a focus on that. And I ain't sitting there saying, you know, a Democrat is worse than a Republican is worse. Than, they're all a bunch of crooks if you ask me. I guess that's not right to say, but oh well. Um, and if I think that the government is going to save me, then you haven't read my Bible. Okay, because my Bible says that they not only are helpless and hopeless, uh, towards the end they will be a hindrance. Oh, I did H's. Cool. <laughs> There is an implied thought in these first two verses. I'm still kind of reviewing. Um, and it's, but it is probably the implication of the thought is probably the greatest, and I'll say it's subjective, proof of the resurrection, okay, is the existence of the church. We're 2,000 years out. The church is still here. Why? If there is no bodily resurrection, then how do we continue? 
The fact that the Corinthians had received, the fact that the Corinthians were standing, the fact that the Corinthians were being saved is evidence that Christ is alive. The evidence that you are here is that Christ is alive. Listen, the Corinthians were a mess, but you know what? So are many of us. Go back and read chapter 6. They had homosexuals, adulterers, fornicators, prostitutes, robbers, thieves, counterfeiters. And God changed their hearts. Do you understand that? You can't do that. Law can't do that. You know what? Behavior modification can't do it. As soon as I remove the modification, what does the person do? Goes back. Goes back. And yet when God invades a life through the resurrected power of Jesus Christ, guess what? It doesn't say that they're perfect. They'll stumble. They'll bounce. They'll fall down and they'll get back up. But you know what? The passion of their heart has changed. Has changed. And you know what? The resurrected Christ had transformed this community into the redeemed within 18 months. Acts chapter 18 tells us that. Who else can change them other than a living Christ? And that's why I call people, do you really understand or is your faith empty? Listen, and it's easy. What are you committed to? It's that simple. It is easy to see what people are committed to. What is their emphasis? What is their focus? And these precious saints in Corinth were still believing. They were still standing. They're still committed to the resurrected Christ. And here we are 2,000 years later. Some of us are still standing. Some of us are still receiving. And some of us are still committed. And you know what's funny about that? You don't see that with Buddha. You don't see it with Muhammad. He never got up. He's still in the grave. You know what's even crazy? With Judaism, Moses is still buried. He never got up, nor did he claim that he would, nor did the Jews claim that he would. None of the religious systems that exist on the planet Earth today have a resurrected Savior. And you know what? We were blessed last night with a baptism. And do you know that every time that a church baptizes somebody, it is a portrait of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the heart of our faith. That's the heart of our faith. So the church is the testimony of the proof of the resurrection. We exist. We're here. We don't know bells and whistles. But the second thing that he brings to bear is the testimony of the scriptures. The end of verse 3 and the end of verse 4 says, according to the scriptures, according to the scriptures. Paul is basically saying, by the way, the gospel 
of the resurrection was not some new idea. It was predicted and it was proclaimed in the Old Testament. And I thought, you know, I'll just grab the verses that deal with it in the Old Testament. I'll just go through them with you. And then it dawned on me how many there are. But I want to show you something. He says, I delivered to you. Then he's got a little parenthetical statement there. It says, of first importance, which I received. Okay. I like that. I delivered this to you. Listen, every good apostle, okay, or, or every good minister of God is a delivery boy. Boy, nothing more. I have received it, and I scurry out, and I deliver it. Paul received it, and in the text it says firsthand. In fact, this is the first penned statements concerning the resurrection. You understand that? I mean, there were other witnesses, but they didn't pin anything down. He is the first to pin the account that he received from the Lord. And listen, Paul, if you go through the history of Paul and read his writings, you will see that he fought this battle his entire life. His entire life. He uses a phrase, and I'll pick this up in a few weeks, but but I want to look at verse 8. It says, to one untimely born. Okay, you know what that literally is that he's stating there? He's a dead fetus. He said, I was an abortion. That's what he's saying. Read the text. And last of all, to an abortion, he appeared to me. Why? Because he understood the humility he stood in. What was his humility? He was trying to crush the church. He was trying to destroy the church. Paul was accused multiple times of, quote unquote, jumping on the bandwagon. I see it today. I see it today. I remember a pastor, you know him. He uh, was disgraced before the world, kicked out of the church. And I remember an interview that he did with one of the Tom Brokaw or somebody. And they were asking about the political influence of the, of the church. And uh, he had this big old goofy grin on his face. And he said, uh, every Sunday, parishioners vote by where they attend. And then he smiled real smugly and said, uh, and right now I'm winning. He ain't now. And yet that's what you see the basis for the church growth movement is what? If I put the pews, fill them up, then I am winning. And Jesus is all happy and tickled with me. But you know what it is? 99% of it is jumping on the bandwagon. Jumping on the bandwagon. And you will find in a lot of these cases that they have a belief that is in vain. That is empty. That has no purpose. They accuse Paul of that. Paul was a Pharisee. Tribe of Benjamin. Studied under Gamali. Educated man. This guy was up and coming. And now all of a sudden... He's got some kind of message on grace. 
And he said, you know what? I am literally, a, I was literally a dead fetus. Dead fetus, that is his humility. One born at a wrong time. Galatians chapter 1, verse 1, he says, I received this message not from men, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. When he came to salvation, he didn't go down and ask the old boys down in Jerusalem, how does this bugger work? He went out to the desert and studied for three years under the personal tutelage of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, speaking of the Lord's table, you've all said it, you remember it. He says, I receive this from the Lord and I give it to you. So when you see there, I delivered to you of first importance what I received. The gospel I give to you is the gospel I have received from the Lord Jesus Christ. This, he uses a phrase here in the New American Standard as first importance. This principal thing I delivered to you. This is primary. This is basics. You better have this one hammered out. You had better receive this. You had better be standing on it. And you better be committed to it. Or you've deceived yourself. I got it from God and I gave it to you. That's one of my greatest frustrations I experience in my life is the days and the hours that I spend in study knowing that I do not get the privilege of giving it all to you guys. It frustrates me at times. It is very difficult as I conclude toward the end of my week on I've got this volume of stuff. Do you understand that... I have 1,100 pages of notes for the letter to the Corinthians. Legal pages, notebooks. Actually, a little over 1,100. And I, I don't think you guys want me to give you all of, all of that. Oh, my God, we're in chapter 3, nine years. It was funny. I heard Dr. MacArthur has just moved into chapter 22 of Luke. Ten years. Ten years he's been preaching Luke. And he's in chapter 22. That's pretty good. All the pastors laughed. Had a conversation just yesterday with somebody and he told him that I was in moving into my seventh year, but I'm in chapter 15. I'm almost done. Well, how far into 15? Well, first two verses. Listen, Paul is telling you and I, this is not my idea. Look what he says in the end of verse 3. It's according to the scriptures. See, the Old Testament is the only scriptures he's got. So he's saying that the Old Testament told us to be warned. The Old Testament prophets saw Jesus dying and rising from the dead on the third day. Okay, when you think about the... There's two words that we throw around and I think that we miss it at times. Okay, the one is the term Christ. Okay, that's a Greek word. Okay, the other one that you will see a lot of time is Messiah. That is a Hebrew word. Okay, they both mean the same thing. The anointed. God's anointed. That's what it means. 
In Luke chapter 24, remember the resurrected Christ is walking down the road and the guys are on the road to Emmaus. And Jesus looks at them and they said, well, why are you not troubled? They look at Jesus and say, why are you not troubled? Have you not seen what happened in Jerusalem? I mean, he crucified this poor bugger. And it was obvious he was a prophet of God. Obvious. And yet they crucified him. Not only did they crucify him, they crucified him on our most holy holiday. Jesus looked at him and his response is foolish. You're foolish. You are slow of heart. And you sit there and you go, wait a minute, these guys are grieving. It's obvious they believed in Christ or they wouldn't be grieving. So they were grieving and Jesus' response is, you're slow of heart. To believe that the prophets had spoken it, did you believe? If you did, you would have known what the prophets had said. He would die. He would rise to be glorified. It's all over the Old Testament. Uh, One of the cutest ones that I enjoy. (laughs) Sorry. Probably didn't sound appropriate. but It's in uh, Acts chapter 26. Paul's defense before Agrippa. Do you understand how he got before Agrippa? He's been imprisoned. Basically, the Jews in Jerusalem were trying to kill him. Okay. And so uh, a Roman... Attachment has escorted him out, put him down in Herod's uh, uh, coastal jail. (laughs) And in chapter 26, (laughs) this is so funny. Before Agrippa, so having obtained help from God, I stand to this day testifying both to small and great, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place. What did the prophets and Moses say? Christ who has to suffer. And that by the reason of his resurrection from the dead, he would be the first to proclaim light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Okay, he, he says, I don't know why they're on my back. I'm reading their Bible too. I don't have any idea why they want me dead. Their Bible says the same thing my Bible says, and it says the anointed of God, the Son of Man, the Christ, the Messiah, was going to die and raise on the third day. Why are they mad at me? Christ would suffer. He would be the first that would rise from the dead and show the light to the people. Do you not read your Bible? Jesus said it to Nicodemus. Have you not read? You are the teacher of Israel. You better get born again. Meaning, it's obvious you're doing it wrong. You should start over. Uh, Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, Genesis 22. Uh, you know, Genesis 22 is funny because everybody says, well, that's that Isaiah, uh, Isaac thing and all the rest of it. Yeah, you're right. I, I do not understand. That's 
Perhaps that's an analogy and we shouldn't use it. That's why in chapter 11, the writer of Hebrews verse 17 states it this way. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, who and he who had received the promises was an offering of his only begotten son. And it was he to whom it was said in Isaac, your descendants shall be called. He considered God able to raise people even from the dead. From which he received him back as a type, a picture of Christ. That's funny, don't you think? You ever ask yourself, what Bible did Abraham read? He didn't have one, in case you're trying to put it together. But he still lived by faith. The altar of Isaac on it is a picture of Christ, and he says, I will provide a sacrifice. And there was the ram in the bushes. Every, do you understand what we just started in Leviticus? Every single sacrifice in the Old Testament speaks of Christ. Whether it is a grain sacrifice, whether it is an animal sacrifice, whether it is a sacrifice of your giving, regardless of what it is, it is a picture of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Zechariah 11 gives us every detail of Judas and what Judas would do, even the amount of money he would do it for. His death is predicted. Psalm 22, my God, why have you forsaken me? I am so thirsty and I have been pierced with a spear and I have been mocked. That's the psalmist. Leviticus 23, the whole chapter is dealing with offerings that are given to God in what? The hopes of a resurrection. Psalm 16, holy one would not see corruption and would show the path of life. You know, that's clear to me because in the sermon that was preached by Peter in Acts chapter 2, 25 through 32, and the sermon that was preached by um, Paul in chapter 13, 34 through 37, they both quote the psalmist. And they're basically saying, our Bible told us this was going to happen and we have seen it. It's in the scriptures. Jesus' own words, he said, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a fish, so shall the Son of Man be in the earth. Did you think about that? That the book of Jonah was given just to prophesy, to predict that Jesus Christ would have to be in the ground for three days. I, I always I always laugh. Isaiah 53, you have the Christ dying, the anointed of God dying, the most holy of God suffering the sins of mankind. And at the end of the chapter, you have him reigning on earth and in the kingdom. You really need a resurrection to get that to happen. <laughs> I mean, it may not use the words, but hey. <laughs> one that I think that is overlooked I wanna, I'll want to. i turn over to it and I guess if you want to you can um, 
the implication is there comes out of the sixth chapter of the book of Hosea. Uh, poor Hosea. Uh, I just I want to weep with him. Uh, men, if you are single, do not marry a woman named Gomer. Um, and ah uh, oh, man, Hosea is put in a situation that God uses Hosea as a living illustration of God's relationship with his nation Israel. Okay, but a fascinating statement is made in chapter 6, verse 2. He will revive us after two days. He will raise us up on the third day that we may live before him. Listen, the only way one anyone gets raised up is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay, on the third day, he is his own resurrection. Okay, now, technically, contextually, he's speaking of Israel. But who was the resurrection message offered to first? Israel. Believe and you shall have everlasting life. You will be raised from the dead. That's why Paul uses it in such great language in Romans 6, is that he will die, that we die with him. But he rose, and we rise with him to walk in the newness of life. The Old Testament speaks of the resurrection. And Paul is basically telling the Corinthians, this isn't new. This isn't new. But what you're doing is allowing the philosophy, the erudite people, the the quote-unquote experts, to come in and tell you, well, this is what it really meant. Listen, I have just barely touched the tip of the bird dealing with the resurrection in the Old Testament. It is amazing to me. You know, I thought, well, I'll just get a couple of verses. You know, how many verses can there be? Oh, my God. The whole Old Testament is pointing to the death and crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is a picture of what it's going to take to get your butt saved. And the New Testament is the fulfillment of what was predicted. And I, I'm sitting there going, you know, am, am I, is it, I don't know, am I slow or am I just finding too much? And I said, you know, there's, it's all over the place. And that's what Paul is saying, according to the scriptures. We didn't have a bunch of yahoos think this up. Listen, that is not something you want to think up. They still wait for old what's his name down in Waco to be raised. He's going to be raised. He's not going to be happy about it. Okay, but he's going to be raised. You know what? Dad Byrne, he did get to see Jesus. Ain't no doubt in my mind. He's going to be bummed out, or he was bummed out, and now he's awaiting in a place of torment so he can receive a resurrected body that can be tormented forever. Cool. Sign me up for that one. Why? Because Jesus Christ was affirmed by his resurrection. The church is bearing witness to that. The existence of the church proves that. One of the things that we miss, though, is this. It 
if he was raised from the dead, then that means God gave him authority to judge. And he said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, so duck. That's paraphrased. The living church testifies that Christ. Listen, I heard a question asked to a guy who's in a lot of controversy these days. And he asked him, he says, in your Bible, it says God uh, so loved the world, gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him um, should not perish, but have eternal life. Do you believe that? And the guy's response was, yes, I do. And he says, in light of the Muslim faith, then. How do you reconcile with those people? And he smiled real smugly. That smug thing's going to get people. Anyway, uh, smugly. And he says, oh, but you haven't read your Bible. And it says, um, I have sheep and other flocks. I want you guys to hear that, you know, and everybody's all concerned about this guy. And I said, at least his problem is his political affiliation. His problem is he didn't even know what the Bible says. And if you don't know what the Bible says, that's going to get you into more trouble than your political stance. Listen, the basis of our salvation, which we await when God comes and takes his own because his, he lives, we live, is the resurrection, bodily, physical, literal, personal resurrection. According to the scriptures. Please understand that. I watch us willing to throw the Bible out because some brilliant fool steps up and claims to be an expert. We found a box, a box of bones, and it says they're Jesus' bones. What? Well, that means that he died. Well, I know he died. But it's a bodily resurrection, which means he didn't leave any bones. That means that the Bible is lying because it says that my anointed will not touch, taste corruption. The grave will rot, not rot him. So what's that box of bones? I know some dude named Jesus, probably Mary Magdalene. That's silly. Jesus is a very common name. Ishua, my son's name. He can't save you. <laughs> And he's, I mean, even the writer of Hebrews says, guess what? Ishua, Joshua could not give you rest. But the Lord of the Sabbath has, if you enter into that rest. So we have the testimony of the church. The fact that the church exists is proof of a literal resurrection. But we also have the testimony of the scriptures. And that is proof of a little literal resurrection. It's all over the place in this Old Testament. It's actually annoying <laughs> if you start keeping the crickets as ever, you'd have to preach the entire Old Testament. And that would get wordy. Okay? I want you guys to understand that when we think about the resurrection of Christ, it's not a cliche. It's not a special holiday. It is the hope that those who have a true committed faith rest fully on. They received it. They stand in it. And they are committed to it. You know what? 
Have you ever listened to some of these stories about Christians who were martyred? Okay. And, and why they were doing it. Uh, I was sharing with some people just like yesterday. Uh, a friend of mine collects Bibles. He loves Bibles. And he had these Bibles that were coming out of the 15 and 1600s and 1700s. Okay. And half of them was pink. And he couldn't understand, you know, was it some kind of algae in the ink or what the heck his stuff was. And so he started doing some research on it. And he realized that there were m- people that were literally eviscerated. Okay, uh, that's a really cool word for being gutted. Because they would not lay their Bibles down. Uh, Have you ever heard of Queen Mary, also known as Bloody Mary? And what she would do is eviscerate these guys because they would not deny the word of God and she would take their Bibles and dip it into the wound. And John realized that what he had there were these martyrs' Bibles that had been dipped in the blood as they died because they believed in the resurrection. I'm thinking it's important. Those people that you see who take the name Christian and fear death, what do you do with the resurrection? How can you fear death if you believe in a literal, personal, bodily resurrection? How can it bother you? It doesn't bother me. There's days that I look for it more than others. There's days that I long for it. Why? I'm ready to get out of this carcass. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? Why? Old Testament, New Testament says that the anointed of God is going to be what? The pathway to life because he will die the death, do you and I? And it will be accepted in such a way that God will raise him from the grave and all who will believe will follow the same path. Romans 6, I have been buried into baptism of his death so I can be raised to walk in the newness of life. That's good stuff, people. Muhammad couldn't do that. Buddha couldn't do that. Confucius couldn't do that. None of them people could do that. Joseph Smith couldn't do it. He's still dead. Please hear me. This is crucial. Because all of the S, listen, oh, death, where is your sting? The enemy's greatest tool, his victorious tool was the power of death. And guess what? It's been defeated. I don't have to worry about it. And I have been to the tomb and you know what? He ain't there. He ain't there. And every time I hear some expert say he found a box of bones and these are Jesus's, all I think about is that they've got a headless body in the Vatican that they claim is John the Baptist. And I asked a Roman Catholic priest about it one time. I said, well, how do you know it ain't Paul? They both had their heads cut off. How do you know it ain't Paul? 
you should do a DNA test. That's how I'd figure it out. I'm sure his brush is around somewhere. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for the faith that you've given unto your people. Father, I lift these precious souls to you. Father, that they would not have an empty faith, a vain faith. That, Father, their faith would grow in commitment with every gracious breath you allow us to draw. And then, Father, we would walk in a manner worthy of our high calling. Thank you, Lord. Thank you so much for what you've done. Father, to know the freedom that we have in the resurrected Jesus Christ. Father, help us to be living sacrifices, giving, knowing what was given. And, Father, we walk in the power and the majesty and the grace of our Lord and Savior. Father, please, I beg you, help us to stand. Help us to commit. Help us to receive even more. Until that day, Lord, our faith becomes sight. Sight of the literal bodily resurrection of Jesus himself. Thank you, Father. Christ's name. Amen.